0: Back in the 14th century, there was a Franciscan monk and philosopher named William of Ockham. He spent a lot of time thinking about God and our concept of God, and how the people of his time were quick to come up with elaborate supernatural explanations for the most simple things. This really annoyed Pope John XXII, and William had to run to Bavaria to avoid losing his head. Ockham's central philosophy was based on one rule. Plurality should not be assumed without necessity. Let me translate. That means, keep it simple, stupid. The most simple explanation for anything is usually the correct one. And this rule has become known as Occam's razor. It's a good rule. It'll save you a lot of grief. But in reality, we tend to see things differently. For example, who was involved in the conspiracy to shoot JFK? Why do so many people believe that it was actually the US government that planned the attacks on 9-11? Why is the UN hiding the fact that they've had contacts and exchanged technology with aliens? And what really happened in the room above the greenhouse at 171 Lake Washington Boulevard in Seattle in April 1994? So let's ask the question, was Kurt Cobain murdered? This is the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Hi, I'm Kurt Loder with an MTV News special report. The body of Nirvana leader Kurt Cobain was found in a house in Seattle on Friday morning, dead of an apparently self-inflicted shotgun blast to the head. Police found what is said to be a suicide note at the scene, but have not yet divulged its contents. Cobain, who was 27, had reportedly been missing for several days. The Los Angeles Times reported on Wednesday that Nirvana was breaking up and that Cobain was planning to undergo drug rehabilitation. A source close to the band told MTV News earlier this week that while that story sounded bad, it was better than what was, quote, really going on. That comment remains to be clarified. British psychologist Simon Manchip says Cobain's suicide note, which reads, I feel guilty beyond words, I don't feel the passion anymore, indicates mental illness. He adds that press reports should have concentrated more on that depression and less on the premature deaths of other rock stars, such as Jimi Hendrix and Jim Morrison. The media, he says, needs to be educated. Those particular words were written either with a different instrument or with a finer point pen or they were written by someone else that uh, used used less pressure on the pen. Tom Grant is the same inept private investigator who was hired by the family to find Kurt the week he was missing. That should tell you something of his incapacity as a private investigator. Grant is trying to get his 15 minutes of fame. He's a sleaze bag. For months, we tried to get him to sign a confidentiality form to no fail. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I wish real life was like TV. I mean, look at a show like CSI. They discover a body, and through some superhuman forensic work, they manage to solve the crime and bag the bad guy in less than an hour. But real life is messy. You don't need me to tell you that there are lots of loose ends in life. But humans hate loose ends, which is why we love conspiracies. We can't just believe that something happened. We have to have someone to blame. We have to have something that may explain it. And because many of the circumstances surrounding the death of Kurt Cobain are unexplained, we have conspiracy theories. Hello again, I'm Alan Cross, and this is an update on the whole Kurt was murdered thing. A set of conspiracy theories that have spawned websites and books and TV shows and even movies. What you're about to hear may freak you out. It might make you mad. It might make you scream, GET A LIFE! But all this stuff is part of the public record, and all these years later, people are still talking and writing about the case. All right, so what do these conspiracy people know that we don't? Who's not talking? What were the motives? Who had the most to gain? And who are the suspects? Let's go through everything. You can make up your own mind. In order to figure out where the Kurt was murdered people are coming from, we have to look at the events of Kurt's last months on Earth. Through the spring and summer of 1993, two things are indisputable. Kurt was using a lot of drugs, and he was not getting along with his wife Courtney Love. May 2nd, 1993, Kurt injected between $30 and $40 worth of cheap heroin and OD'd. June 4th, 1993, Courtney had Kurt arrested after some kind of domestic dispute. There were reports that a gun was connected to the incident somehow and that a bunch of ammunition was seized. The charges were eventually dropped, though. July 23rd, 1993, Kurt suffers another overdose in a New York hotel room. Fall 1993, Kurt becomes increasingly strung out. His chronic stomach pains worsen, and he battles with stubborn cases of bronchitis and laryngitis. Early 1994, disturbing stories about the future of Nirvana start to circulate. Word is that Nirvana is about to break up and that Kurt is very depressed. On at least one set of legal papers involving a new book on Nirvana, Kurt lists his address as, quote, "...hell on earth." Courtney continues to rub the rest of the band the wrong way. Later, she would insist that Kurt hated Dave Grohl. January 1994, Nirvana is asked to headline the Lollapalooza tour. Rumors suggest that they're offered up to $9.5 million for the gig. Kurt turns it down, apparently really annoying everyone else, including Courtney. Meanwhile, as the band prepares for a series of European shows, Nirvana starts working on some new material, what was supposed to have been the next album. These sessions take place at a studio in Seattle on January 28th, 29th, and 30th of 1994. One brilliant recording eventually emerges, but it won't be released until October of 2002. We now know that track as You Know You're Right. But back on October 23rd, 1993, the only time this song was known to have been performed live... It was called On the Mountain. Here it is. Listen to the lyrics. Are they an accurate representation of where Kurt's head was at? You be the judge. While Nirvana was apparently still ready to move ahead with a new album, there was another rumor that Kurt was ready to break up the band and join whole. That rumor was finally confirmed in early 2004, when a long-lost interview with a French TV journalist turned up. This is from August 10th, 1993. Here's the quote. It's a nice thoughts, collaborations with Courtney. I'd like to, but to tell you the truth, I would rather just quit my band and join whole, you know? Only because when I have played music with them, there's a level of connection that's a little bit higher than with anyone else I ever played with. It's amazing. It's totally satisfying for Courtney and I, but completely unrealistic because we're already so intertwined with each other. Most people don't think of the band Nirvana. They think of Kurt and Courtney, and that gets in the way. People would just overlook the music and look on to other things. It's a sad situation. I really wish we could just join bands, but it wouldn't be considered a real band. So... How serious was Kurt about working with Courtney? Serious enough to have Nirvana perform on the same bill as Hole several times. And serious enough to sit in on a bunch of his wife's recording sessions. There were several sessions made in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, during a break in a Nirvana tour of South America. And then there is this mysterious track. This is a Hole song called Asking For It. Listen carefully. Whom do you suppose is singing background vocals? A strange recording from Courtney and Hole that appears to feature Kurt Cobain on background vocals. Now, is that genuine? Or is it a clever fake? There have always been rumors that Kurt helped Courtney write some of her live through this album, and this is some pretty interesting circumstantial evidence. And based on new evidence, Kurt seemed to be open to the idea of ditching Nirvana and perhaps joining his wife's band. Very weird. Let's move ahead to March 2nd, 1994. While Nirvana was on tour in Europe, Kurt got sick. Laryngitis, bronchitis, his stomach problems, plus all the health problems associated with heavy heroin use. He needed a break badly, so a chunk of the tour was canceled. Using the pseudonym Kurt Poupon, just like the mustard, Kurt checked into room 541 of the five star Excelsior Hotel in Rome and waited for Courtney to join him. Kurt also saw a doctor who told him that he needed to rest for up to a month. He also visited the Vatican, where he stole some candlesticks. He also bought some red roses, some lingerie, a rosary, and a pair of three carat diamond earrings. Everything, of course, was for Courtney. They hadn't been together for 26 days, which is the longest stretch that they'd ever been apart. But then it got weird. At 6.15 of the morning of April 4th, 1994, Courtney found Kurt on the floor, suffering from an overdose of champagne and rohypnol, which is a powerful sedative that is ten times more powerful than Valium. Rohypnol is used as a tranquilizer for people coming off heroin, and the drug, of course, is also known as Roofies. Yeah, the date-rate pill best guess is that Kurt had taken 50 or 60 of these pills and washed them down with two bottles of champagne how did he get rohypno depends who you ask some people say this was Courtney's prescription Courtney found him unconscious and blood was coming out of his nose he was also fully dressed in one hand was a wad of cash totaling about a thousand dollars in the other a three page suicide note written on hotel stationery an ambulance was called and Kurt was rushed to the hospital Word got around fast, and at one point, CNN reported that he had actually died. But not this time. After 20 hours in a coma, he woke up, and on March 12, 1994, everybody flew home to Seattle. March 18, 1994, Kurt locked himself in a room with his gun collection, and according to Courtney, threatened to kill himself. Once again, the police are called and some guns are seized, and later Kurt will deny that he had said anything that might remotely be considered suicidal. He says he was simply trying to keep away from his wife. Courtney later retracted her claim in a police report that her husband had threatened to take his own life. March the 22nd, Courtney buys a new Lexus, brings it home. Kurt disapproves, they fight, and he insists that she take it back to the dealership for a refund. Courtney was not happy. March the 25th, there's an intervention at the house, coerced by his family, friends, and band members, and business associates, and apparently some fellow junkies. Kurt agrees to enter a 12-step recovery program in Los Angeles. March 29, 1994. Kurt posts the following message through his AOL account. I'm still pretty freaked out over the Rome thing and need some time to rest and get over it. March 30th. Before flying to the rehab center in L.A., Kurt and his friend Dylan Carlson buy a 20-gauge shotgun at a Seattle gun shop. Because Kurt has a felony charge against him, Dylan had to buy the gun and register it in his name. Here's a question. If Kurt was suicidal, why would his best friend buy him a gun? Friday, April 1st, Joe Mama, a friend of Courtney's, visits Kurt in rehab. He later calls that Kurt looked and sounded great. 7.25 p.m., Friday, April 1st, Kurt scales the wall of the treatment center. 8.47 p.m., Friday, April 1st, Kurt phones Courtney at the Peninsula Hotel in Los Angeles and leaves a phone number. There's nothing about the message that indicates that anything is wrong. Kurt makes his way back to Seattle. He sits in seat 2F of Delta Airlines flight 788. He arrives back in Seattle at 1247 a.m. He even signs a few autographs for fans at the airport. Saturday, April 2nd, Courtney allegedly plants a story with the Associated Press that says she has overdosed. She'll later claim that it was a ploy to get Kurt scared, so he would call her. That same day, Kurt is seen by a number of people in Seattle, including a taxi driver, John Silva, one of Nirvana's managers, a friend named Sarah Hone, and Michael DeWitt, a nanny at the house on Lake Washington Boulevard. Sunday, April 3rd, still worried about Kurt, Courtney hires a detective named Tom Grant and orders him to find Kurt. Grant is told to check with Michael Stipe of REM because Courtney believes that Kurt might have flown east to stay with him. Apparently, Courtney still has that phone number that Kurt gave her on the Friday. She does not give that phone number to Tom Grant Monday April 4th Kurt's mother files a missing persons report with the police actually it wasn't Kurt's mom it was Courtney pretending to be Kurt's mom April 8th 1994 Kurt's body is found in the room above the garage at his home at 171 Lake Washington Boulevard in Seattle the guy who discovered the body was an electrical contractor hired for a job at the house now he didn't call police right away he called a local radio station instead he started his conversation this way. Boy, you guys are going to owe me some really great Pink Floyd tickets for this one. There's a greenhouse above the garage, and I, was, I walked around to the door on the upper side to, uh, to see about uh, getting access to run a wire in the house or in the garage. And I looked in through the glass door, and there's this guy laying there with a shotgun laying on his chest and uh, blood running out of his ear. Good afternoon, this is Al with the Seattle Police Media Update Information Line for April 8th, Friday, and the time is 4 p.m. If you are calling on any update information from the death investigation earlier this morning at 171 Lake Washington Boulevard East, the medical examiner has now made a statement regarding this incident. You may call their recording line at 223-5888. Thank you. Uh, The King County Medical Examiner's Office has positively identified the body of Kurt Cobain by fingerprints. The autopsy has shown that Kurt Cobain died of a shotgun wound to the head, and at this time the wound appears to be self-inflicted. Seattle Police Department, Homicide, and King County Medical Examiner's uh, are continuing their investigation. So far, we've heard the facts of the case as they've been presented to us. A simple suicide, right? Well, most everyone thought so until December 1994 when Tom Grant, that detective hired by Courtney to find Kurt over Easter weekend, began to speak out. Tom still believes that something about this case smelled bad. So he went public with his theories on an American national radio show called The Gross Show. He said that based on his examination of the suicide note, he believed that Kurt didn't write the whole thing. Those particular words were written either with a different instrument, or with a finer point pen, or they were written by someone else that uh, used used less pressure on the pen. And if Kurt didn't write the whole suicide note, who did? Before we go any further with this Kurt was murdered conspiracy, let's make it very, very clear. Most people, including the cops, the coroner, Kurt's bandmates, Kurt's family, and the vast majority of his fans believe that Kurt took his own life. They have come to terms with that fact and want everyone to move on. But there are more than a few people who refuse to let it go. They have their own opinions of what happened to Kurt Cobain. In a moment, we'll start outlining the case for murder. And remember what I said about loose ends back at the beginning? I've we'll got lots of those. Don't go anywhere. The central figure in the Kurt was murdered conspiracy is Tom Grant. Tom runs a detective agency called the Grant Company just off Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. Tom is now just shy of 60 years old, and he's a former cop and county sheriff's detective. And he believes that Kurt was, yes, Murdered. His theory about what really happened rests on the assumption that Kurt Cobain was not and never was suicidal. He may have wanted to end his musical career, but he did not want to end his life. In other words, he was murdered. So who killed him? Or who had him killed? According to Tom Grant, Kurt's death was the result of a conspiracy. The principal subject is Courtney Love. I am the girl you know can't look. What you're about to hear is an outline of Tom Grant's evidence implicating Courtney Love and the death of Kurt Cobain. These lines of investigation have been picked up and further explored by such people as British filmmaker Nick Broomfield and two Canadian authors, Max Wallace and Ian Halperin, who in 1987 wrote a controversial book called Who Killed Kurt Cobain? Listen carefully because this gets very complex and very strange. In fact, some of what we're going to talk about will spill over into the next show. But let's begin with item number one, and that's the divorce threat. At the time of his death, Kurt and Courtney were not getting along. We have the police records of the domestic disputes and all kinds of anecdotal evidence from various other witnesses. The D word, divorce, was mentioned frequently. In January 1994, Kurt mentioned to Rolling Stone that he and Courtney would be getting a divorce shortly. We'd later hear that papers were being drawn up when Kurt died. Courtney was fighting back and had asked her lawyer, a woman named Rosemary Campbell, to find her the, quote, "...meanest, most vicious divorce lawyer she could." Unquote. Much of the conflict stemmed from Kurt's drug use and his apparent desire to retire from music. Courtney was furious that by refusing to play the 1994 Lollapalooza tour, he was walking away from a $9.5 million payday. At the same time, she allegedly asked Rosemary if there was any way that she could void Kurt and Courtney's prenuptial agreement. Then, Rosemary got a call from Kurt. He wanted to talk about his will. Specifically, he wanted Courtney Love taken out of his will. Courtney apparently knew of this, and according to a nanny they had working at the house at the time, there was, quote, way too much will talk during the last weeks of Kurt's life. By the time Courtney left for Los Angeles on March the 26th for the launch of Hole's new album, nothing had been resolved. Ten days later, Kurt Cobain would be dead of a gunshot blast to the head. To school Detective Tom Grant, the man hired by Courtney when Kurt was AWOL from the rehab center, has been pursuing his Kurt-was-murdered theories for over a decade now. And those theories are outlined on his website at www.cobaincase.com. One of the things he has posted is conversations he had with Courtney before and after Kurt died. Here is one such conversation, and it features Courtney talking about her husband. I've been making videos and doing the L.A. thing and the New York City and BL Glamour Meanwhile, he'd been playing, like, Slavonia, right? And he got real depressed, and he wrote basically a suicide note. There's no real other way. He claims he was leaving me, you know, and that's that's what his talent is. But socially, he doesn't have one friend. So, I mean, you know, I always see on TV where the woman comes in, and she's like, there's no way he could have run up with a woman, or there's no way he could have killed himself. I'm telling you, he has no friends. But Kurt did have friends. One guy named Peter clearly remembers this. Kurt and Courtney weren't getting along. The only thing keeping them together was their daughter, Frances. And Kurt had been trying to talk about getting custody. Around his wife, he was an emotional cripple. Remember this when considering the divorce issue. It's in direct contrast to the rumors that Kurt wanted to quit Nirvana and join Hole full-time. You see what I mean about inconsistencies and loose ends? Well, I'm not done here. Ian Halpern and Max Wallace are the two Canadians who have been researching Kurt's death for years. In 1997, they had that book, Who Killed Kurt Cobain? In 2004, they issued a follow-up called Love and Death, The Murder of Kurt Cobain. And in that second book, they alleged that Kurt was in the process of leaving Courtney when he died. The Halpern and Wallace investigation turned up two United Airlines plane tickets that they believe Kurt booked out of Seattle for himself and a mystery woman. A woman believed by some to be Kurt's new girlfriend, whoever that was. Furthermore, they say those two plane tickets were found unused after Kurt's body was discovered. Now, there are a lot of stories about the prenuptial agreement. If Kurt had been successful in divorcing Courtney, the prenup would have kicked in and she would have been left with next to nothing. Item number two. Kurt Cobain was apparently afraid of something or someone. It might have been just junky paranoia, but some conspiracy theorists think it might be much more. On March 30th, 1994, Kurt and his best friend, Dylan Carlson, went out and bought that brand-new 20-gauge Remington shotgun. Most people believe that Kurt was afraid of intruders at the house, and he wanted some kind of protection. Remember, the cops had come and taken away a lot of his guns and bullets during one of those domestic disputes. Furthermore, the electrician who discovered Kurt's body on April the 8th, 1994 was at the house because he had been hired to install some security lighting and some motion detectors. Some of the conspiracy people are convinced that Kurt was afraid for his life. They'll even go as far as to say that he believed that it had been intimated that if he didn't go ahead with the Lollapalooza tour, his life would be in danger. Okay, I'm just I'm just laying on some of the theories for you here, people. That's all I'm doing. Oh, by the way, the shotgun was set up for a light load. This is what gun dealers recommend if you're going to use the gun for protection at home. This kind of shot won't go through walls. The gun was also loaded with three shotgun shells. And here's another question. If you were going to use a shotgun to blow off your head, why would you need three shells in the chamber? All right, what do you think so far? We've recounted Kurt's last days, what he did, and the actions of those around him. We've heard about the Nirvana breakup rumors, the Kurt is joining hole rumors, the divorce threats, the will disputes, and Kurt's fear of intruders. Are okay, you in- intrigued by all this? Let me tell you something. We haven't even begun to get into the gory details, because on the next show, we'll hear about how someone was using Kurt's credit card apparently after he died. We'll hear from a guy who said he was offered $50,000 to kill Kurt. We'll look at all the suicide notes, and yes, there was more than one. We'll look at some issues with the official police investigation, and we'll get deeper into Detective Tom Grant's work. We'll lay out everything so you can make up your own mind. Part two of Kurt Cobain was murdered next time on the Ongoing History of New Music. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. I'm Alan Cross.